Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. How the devil are you? Yes, it's uh, it's not Thursday. It's Saturday. Hello. Are you well? Good. I'm in my slightly echoey cave here in Brighton still. And I'm sorry. I am sorry. You know, it's not been the most consistent of seasons, but this is what happens. We come back and we come back with an absolute banger of an episode. It's a part two with the always fantastic, and I do mean that, Julie Hesmond-Holsch. Julie, as you know, is a very busy actor. But instead of being on our stage and on our screens of late, she's put pen to paper and she has written an extraordinary book. It's called An Actor's Alphabet, an A to Z of some stuff I've learned and some stuff I'm still learning. It's so honest, so funny, so important. It's so distinctly Julie. We talk about her voice on the page in this episode. And she talks about cultural capital, about fame, about failure. Oh, um, class, there's casting, jealousy, social media. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, things about the process. There's so much stuff that we couldn't and actually didn't want to talk about because it's all there here in Julie's brilliant new book, An Actor's Alphabet. Uh, it's available now. Do go out and get it. it I compl- Honestly, you know, I said this to Julie, there is no bullshit on this podcast. And we never promote things because I don't really believe in that. But what I do believe in is Julie as a person and as an actor. And what she has to say in this book is vitally important. So get your hands on it. You'll thank me. But before that, let's go back and say hello to the wonderful Julie Hesmond-Holsch. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Uh, good morning, Julie. Good morning. Are you all right, Craig? I'm really good. I'm, all the, I'm genuinely all the better for seeing you, because it's been so many years since we've done this, but also I feel like it's been years since I've seen you in person. I think, did we last see each other at the theatre? Yeah, the Royal Exchange. It was the exchange. Yeah, it was a press night there, yeah, yeah. And how have you been? I mean, I'm holding something in my hand to say, how have you been? You've been absolutely jammers with busy writing, haven't you? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, the writing of it it was was quite smooth. So I've written a book... um, I'll give you a bit of background on it. Um, Please, I want to. I want to know everything. Yes, so, so basically, last time we spoke, I think I'd just written my my first book, which was a working diary, um, which yes. I've been commissioned to write, and it's part of a series. And um, and uh, and I really, really loved doing that. Really, really enjoyed it. And it seems to go down well. And the bits that 
seem to really resonate with people with actors were the more advice-based stuff and and the stuff where I was talking about stuff that I've learned along the way in this very long life <laughs> and um and I thought well maybe I could sort of expand that and and so I pitched an idea to Nick Hearn Books to write a, a kind of an actor's alphabet so so the the subheading is the most important bit to me is stuff that I've learned and stuff some stuff that I've learned and some stuff that I'm still learning because I didn't yeah. want it to be me in a position of like oh now that I'm in my 50s I'm in this position of great wisdom and I will bestow it upon you whether you like it or not I just wanted to uh, to be sort of side by side with people really and say mm. the industry changed so much while I was in my 16 years in Coronation Street but it's changed even more so in a really escalated way since I left Corium sort of re-entered the industry really as a as a jobbing actor and I wanted to talk about how that's been and what it's been like for me growing older in the industry but also just how it's important to embrace all these massive changes that have finally come about and, and are still evolving after years and years of grassroots struggle, you know, from people wanting better representation, diversity, more safety in rehearsal rooms, yeah. you know, the rise of the intimacy coordinator, etc. So, so yeah, so I, I, I set myself up with this sort of A to Z um, structure, which was really great because it was something that I could work within then. And, uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. I seem to write it almost without noticing. I'd be like, oh, I'll write a couple of chapters this week and I'll do it. Oh, I'll do F for failure and, and fame this week. Oh, I'll do J for jealousy this week. Because the usual was is that the bits, the, the, the chapters that I'm least interested in are left until the last. And so that was quite hard, you know. So I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to write a chapter on line learning now and tax, you know. But it was... Uh, but it was just a really, really enjoyable experience. And I had a readership in mind the whole way through, which wasn't just young actors emerging into the industry, but but people who might be re-emerging into it after after parenting or a career break. Yeah. Or or people who were just interested in it. You know, I mean like whenever you do a QA after a show or whatever, people are really interested in the process and how you learn your lines. I'm like, I'm hoping this chap's who puts me to that boring question in Q&As <laughs> forever now. But also the stuff that you, you continue to struggle with, and you'll know this, Craig, you know, the sort of, the, the insecurity and the imposter syndrome and the, and the feeling that there's always people ahead of you in the game, your mm. peers and, you know, the, the, the nemesis that always gets the job. So you're just like, oh, damn it, damn it, why? Why, why them and not me? And... And but that's why chap that's why chapters such as J for jealousy are really important because maybe we might talk about those things with our very close friends who who, who are our peers who we, we might not feel threatened by but we don't really talk about it in general as a whole do we no and it's, we and it's absolutely really important don't. it's really important to acknowledge it and to find ways of of moving forward with it, really, and acknowledging that it's kind of part of the job in some ways, but but what a waste of time it is, and there is enough to go around. And I think yeah. that at its worst, jealousy can make you very defensive, um, very closed off, but also it, it makes you ungenerous. It makes you not want to share what you've got, whatever knowledge you have or contacts or or experience you have, you know, because you want to keep it for yourself so that you can further yourself. And, and so... I think the thread running through the whole book really is about definitely about sort of self-development as an actor and and keeping yourself well mentally and, and physically. And how and, and there's a lot of tips for that that I've sort of accrued over the years. But but more than that really, I think what I've tried to emphasize is the importance of other people you know whether that's you know joining a union and being part of the change you know I think a lot of people just don't understand what the union is and and how it is us you know on every break every bit of holiday pay every sort of you know royalty check you get it's all because we won't be getting any of that if it weren't for standing <laughs> together as a union you know we're all so yeah. desperate to work we'd all do everything for a pittance you know if these if these things weren't put in place and you know it's not perfect but but also just the joy of this job even when it's not great you know, the ups and downs of what you choose. And, and I think there's a culture now of just being so despondent about our job, our industry. But everything's hard. All industries are hard now. And actually, even when things are hard and you're struggling for work and you're having to do day jobs or whatever, you know, we're so lucky 
to have something that we're passionate about. It's such a, I know it's an overused word, but it's such a massive privilege to have something that you love and to be able to pursue it, however successfully, and to be around like-minded people who are also trying to do that. And there's always a way, even if it's online, to get together with like-minded people and do a play reading, do a class, you know, listen to podcasts like yours, Craig, which I know have been massively helpful for people who are struggling, you know. And I just, and, and I really wanted to emphasise that, the sort of, the community, that we're in and how lucky we are. So I hope there's a bit of hope and, and joy in the book as well. And, and that seems to be, the feedback I'm getting seems to be that, that people are just a bit like, oh yeah, actually, you know, let's let's go out and do something. Let's make something. So Because you can, because you can nowadays. And I think what's really important about your book is 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 that subheading there's some stuff i'm still learning you're not saying this is this is a definitive guide i know him a fittest and i know everything because we don't know everything you know i'm 46 constantly still learning i think that is what keeps drawing us back in even through the darker moments and the more struggle that we have yeah. ongoing in the career it's like ah oh, yeah but that means I'm going to get to work with that person, so therefore I might be learning this off that person. Yeah. So therefore I'm growing and learning and I'm oh, gaining the knowledge. A hundred percent. And <clears throat> I just did a I just did an ITV drama with a, a young actor who like graduated about three or four years ago, I think, and uh, mm. and he, he graduated from drama centre. So that's a completely different training from mine. It's a completely different sort of process, and I was absolutely fascinated by what he had to say about that process. And it was really, really interesting to me, even though it's completely at odds with, with the way that I do things. But his work ethic, the way that he approached being the number one on the show, I learned so much from him. I, I just, I watched him wonder at how professional he was and how kind, how committed he was. But also, you know, the, the stuff that I could talk to him about, which was so helpful for the book... He's worked with like he's you know he's, he's, a, he's a hot young man you know so he's like he's done lots of sex scenes and uh, so he's done lots of work with intimacy coordinators so I had a really interesting conversation with him about that and about this assumption in our industry I thought this was really interesting that now it, a lot of it's based on fear you know everybody's everybody's very fearful of being cancelled everybody's very fearful of like you know doing the wrong thing in terms of mm. like people being vulnerable in in sort of with sexual content in in drama and uh but it's very much aimed at the women you know and it and it which is absolutely right because women are often you know don't have the power in the room traditionally but he said there's this assumption that if you're a young man that you love doing sex scenes oh my god that oh aren't you lucky you know doing having all these sex scenes with these hot young actresses and isn't it great and he said it's incredibly vulnerable you know and you yeah. get you get trolled you get you know you, you you're objectified it's like very it's very nerve-wracking doing those scenes it's very exposing and and um and nobody ever takes any sort of Notice of that. So, so intimacy coordinators and that, that safety net around sex is something that is there for the men and the women, you know, for everybody who's doing those scenes, including the crew, you know, everybody. And, and, I'm, and I see a lot people, older people in our industry, sort of poo-pooing it without really, I mm. think, looking more deeply into why it exists, you know, this sort of... This culture of like, oh, we're all right, aren't we? You know, we've been working together a couple of weeks. We'll just get on with it sort of thing. It's all very well if you're the one with the power in the room, you know, and, and it's really, really important that we don't become entrenched in our own ideas about how things are. And it's difficult. Change is hard. And, and growing older in this industry is hard anyway. But we've got to grow and evolve with it, you know, and then real proper joy comes from that, from being in a room with people that you're learning from and you're open to learning from. Mm -hmm. And change. And then from that, change will come. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you talk about intimacy coordinates because I was doing a job earlier this year and I don't do a lot of intimate scenes. Well, me really neither, which is career. why I had, to, I had to do a little research outside my own experience for it. <laughs> and, um, and there was a specific scene in this drama, and it was, it was, it was a, an intimate scene. Um, 
And I got a call from the director and he said, so um, how do you feel about an intimacy coordinator? Because I've asked the other person that you're working with in the scene and they don't want one. Um, they, they just want to get on with it. Uh, and I felt, a li- I felt that the um, decision had already been made for me. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't feel I had any power in it. No. In that situation. Anyway, look, it turns out it was totally fine and, and, and it all worked. But it, I, I still, I, I did feel a little bit vulnerable about it. To be honest, I didn't feel I had the power to say, actually, do you know what? As a man, I'd quite like it. Yeah, yeah, because it, because it's important that you feel safe in that environment as well mm. in terms of mm. you not overstepping or... I, I think it's a really good thing and I think a good intimate intimacy come up coordinator as far as I can tell from you know speaking to other people I've never worked with one uh, is someone who works with the actors so you know how much is needed and when to step back and and but I mean the first time I'd heard about it was watching normal people mm. and uh um, and I just thought it was incredible and I get very very nervous when I see a lot of nudity especially female nudity on screen I, I'm, I'm immediately it takes me out of the story I'm immediately worried for the actors, and I'm just like, oh, oh, what was that like for them? And are they okay? And and I, and I didn't feel it in that. I felt really safe. It felt so intimate. It felt so real and raw and, and, quite, uh, and quite beautiful at times as oh, well. I mean, beautiful and ugly. Do you know? Beautiful and, 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 and like yeah. and clumsy. Yeah, yeah. Cl- all, 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 all the th- all the things that like real sex is because it's exactly. not. It's not all shiny and perfect. It's awkward and it's clumsy. Exactly that. And I thought, I was like, wow, this is amazing. How have they got to this place with it? And then I heard, and then, you know, there was a lot of talk about the intimacy coordinator on that mm. show. You know, I think, I feel like that was almost like the 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 inception of it, certainly in the public consciousness, you know. And, and I... And, and everything had been choreographed, you know. And those actors obviously felt so safe with each other. And... Um, and that's what made me start to think, oh, yeah, you know, that's a... And I think that people's idea of an intimacy coordinator would be to take all that rawness and clumsiness and beauty out of it, actually. But, mm. but actually, I think it added to it. So, yeah. so, yeah, but, I mean, that's just one example of, like, changes. You know, I mean, other ones are, you know, being... You know, obviously diversity and representation is like is massively improving still a long way to go you know and and the inclusion of like disabled people in projects and how to make that more accessible all that stuff's really really interesting to me and it makes it makes an experience of working so much more rich and and enjoyable you know, and, it, and it's kind of, and I, and I do resist things. I mean, I can't pretend I sit here like, you know, some sort of like open, like, oh, I don't have any barriers to change or whatever. I, I love life as it is. You know, of course I'm a bit entrenched. You know, I get like, I, I can feel it in myself sometimes, my, myself rearing up against things that I don't properly understand. But I see that as a call to arms to myself to like, you know, to, to I don't know, to, to step up really. There's a distinct voice in the book, and it's your voice. When I started reading it, it's like, oh, yeah, when you say things about, like, you know, you stick to your guns and, oh, fuck that, don't do that. And not not that you have an incredible vocabulary. It's not that you you swear a lot, but it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's not not preachy in any way. It's very much a discussion that, that wants to be had and is inviting you in as a reader, you know. Especially, I put, um, that fantastic edited extract that was in The Guardian yesterday that was uh, very much about class uh, and the voice. And uh, I put it out on on Twitter because I knew that we were talking today and I thought, well, that'd be nice to get people um, uh, interested in this and and to to invite them into this discussion. Was there any... When you said, right, oh, well, this week I'm going to do this this chapter on on F and G, did you ever write a chapter with a heading and then go back to it later and think, oh, no, I've got something better now or I've learnt something else, I've got to rewrite that whole chapter? Or did you have the whole alphabet mapped out as you went along? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank, thanks very much for saying that. I think that um, I can only write in my own voice, really. So, yeah, there's a lot of, like, don't be a dick. 
just try not to be a dick. You know, that's, that's the strand really doing about. Just, just try not to be a dick. And, um, yeah. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, there were chapters. I had the headings. I had all the headings as I went through um, because I wanted to nail that and make sure that I want. I could say everything I wanted to say about all the different things I wanted to discuss. Some of the things are, are real, like, manifesto points for me, stuff that I'm mm. really, really passionate about, like access to the arts, like, across all backgrounds, um, class. Um, I know that intersects with sort of different sort of characteristics, protected characteristics and, you know, and, and how to you know, open up drama schools to be much more inclusive and things like that are stuff that really, really important to me, like joining the union. And then there were other things that were much more personal and things that I've never really spoken about before in such detail, which is like my relationship to failure and my relationship to fame at my lowly level. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm always really, really conscious that when I talk about being famous, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm not like Taylor Swift. I know, I understand that. But, <laughs> but you know, just that sort of recognisability and the and the ownership of you, you know, and, and, just, and just talking about how that is and how to navigate that a bit, you know, really hard to write about that stuff without sounding like a wanker, you know, so I hope I've managed to do that. You, well, Judy, you definitely have, but also really hard to have these discussions. Yeah, yeah, because you've got it's... to be grateful and you have to start from a place of, like, I am so grateful to be in this job and to have a voice, you know, it's the, the fact that, you know, I have that... I'm a bit of a recognisable face and name that has enabled me to write this book and to get the the coverage, the incredible coverage that it's had beyond the acting world, you know, I mean, to mm. go on Channel 4 News and talk about it, it's like, oh, wow, well, OK. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think that... I, I think that it's really important to acknowledge that the spectrum... It, it isn't failure on one end and fame on the other. You know, that is a huge spectrum. And within it, there, there are failures all the time and a longer way to fall if the more well-known you are. And that fame isn't all it's cracked up to be all the time too. And how to find a way through that and, and to, uh, with grace. And, and you know, and, and what I have learned and how I've learned to, to deal with that. Not always successfully, I have to say, you know. Um, so those things were sort of like, part memoir really you know and about activism and about how that I found my happy place as being an actor you know with a with a political agenda I suppose a, a mm. political passion but then there were there were other ones where I um were very, were, I was very much learning on as I was writing it you know stuff stuff about um as we've said, intimacy coordinators, stuff about body image. I, I kept going back to that because I, I wanted it to be so inclusive, what I wrote, because I wrote a chapter about how our industry has always sold a, a kind of an image and an idealised uh, vision of what we should be and look like. And, and, and I think that's much worse in America, obviously, and in, in Britain it's... But, but I think we might be going a bit that way sometimes when, when you watch telly in this country. And and I and I said, I just want to see real people on screen. And the more that actors are trying to turn themselves into film stars, <laughs> you know, models, <laughs> mm. it's like, I just want to see, you know, we want to see ourselves reflected back. We want to see the beautiful people. Of course we do. Do you know what I mean? I want to, I want to watch normal people and just be like, look at the beautiful people. But I want to see real people as well. And 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 within that, you know, I, I was I kept going back to it thinking, oh, I haven't included this. I haven't, you know, I haven't nodded to that group of people or this group of people. So so it was interesting. And I'd read something and think, oh yeah, that's an interesting thing to add into that chapter. So I did go back, but generally it was a pretty much like, oh, today I want to write about this, and by the end of the day I'll have banged out that chapter and and then gone back and and I left the last chapter, I left Z to last because I knew that that would be a wrapping up of it yeah. and I wanted it to be kind of like a, a sort of a hopeful conclusion to it all. You touched on there about wanting to, to, you know, to see the real people as well as, as well as all the beautiful people, that's fine. But it's important that we hear the normal people as well. Yeah. We hear, we hear that voice. Yeah. And I was thinking, I, I was thinking I was specifically about you, obviously. And I don't know if I asked this question last time. You have... Your accent is a very strong, thick East Lancashire. East Lancashire, Lancashire yeah. East yeah. Lancashire accent. Yeah. And obviously, I'm from Lancashire. Now, for people who are not from Lancashire, they will, might think that we're from completely different 
parts yeah. of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Now, when you, when you were at drama school, when you were at Lambda, were you forced in any way to get rid of this and to replace it? And I can't remember if I asked you this question last time. It doesn't matter if I do because we're, we're talking about the voice now. Um, so were you? Were you forced in any way? Well, I, w- I was really lucky, actually, because, I mean, I talk about this a lot in the, the class um, uh, chapter that was in The Guardian yesterday because I think accent is so wrapped up in that. So if, mm. you're, if you're playing a professional person, you're not often called on to do your own accent. You know, it's like, it's like oh, you can't possibly be a lawyer with, with my accent. And even yes. within accents, there's a hierarchy, so I've I, I found that my accent lends itself to um, upper working class, you know. So so I'm I can be, I'm nurses and teachers. That's very much very, like Oof. very very warm, very warm characters. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. but sort of like, but I'm not. I'm not a sex worker. You need a scouser for that. You know, you know, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> but I'm also not a lawyer because you need someone who speaks IP for that. And I mean, and that is changing. And again, that's like from people banging at that door for years. Now at Lambda, I was really lucky in that, although there was very, very little diversity, um, I mean, there was there was one black woman in my year. There were six women, 18 men. <laughs> so, so much for ERA 50-50. Yeah. And, uh, and one black woman and and anything that we felt as working class uh students you know was amplified by a hundred times for for andrea who was the black woman in our year you know Mm. everything was more difficult because class intersects with all the other oppressions you know so and i for me you know there were five of us from accrington college the college that i went to at Lambda at the same time. So we actually outnumbered Etonians by five to one. <laughs> which, which very rarely happens. Very rarely happens. And I think <laughs> that's because the the college at that point was run by uh, Roger Croucher and Colin Cook, who'd been like major figures in the angry young men period at the Royal Court. Royal Court. So, yeah, and they were, and Colin was, you know, a, a northerner. He was a, a Yorkshire man. And, and so they were very... They were very conscious of of accents and class and and of opening doors in that way. So so I never. I mean, I did get told by a, a voice teacher to to go home one Christmas and speak RP until it became natural to me, and I was like. <laughs> I don't think you understand that I will be beaten to death. <laughs> that, that can't happen. It's like that, that will not happen. Um, and I think it's ridiculous because I think that RP is just another accent. And it's, and it's difficult because I sometimes think that my, this, this voice is so me. It's so associated with me, as yours is, Craig, as well, I think. And like someone like Maxine Peake, you know. Our, oh, yeah, yeah, Our yeah. voice is just it's so instantly recognisable. Mm. And, and, and our accent is so, that, that it's kind of part of us. And so sometimes when I'm playing a role, I think, oh, well, maybe... Maybe I should be doing a different accent. I mean, I mean, on on stage, I've done many different accents. On on TV, I've only really done you know Broadchurch in a different accent to mine. But this is my neutral. You know, this is my nobody questions that. If you're Tom Hiddleston and you're most of the parts you're playing are either RP or American, you know, it's like this is this is my voice. So if I'm playing a lawyer. I am a lawyer with this voice. If I am a teacher, I'm a teacher with this voice. Unless it's set in a very specific region, you know, mm. I don't really understand why I should be changing my voice to, you know. I mean, like Martin Freeman had to be a scouser in The Responder, you know. He, he had to be and he did blooming well. You very, know very I mean? well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, everyone, all the scousers were like, this is amazing, you know. Uh, yeah, no one, no one questioned that at all. Nobody questioned I mean, I think everybody was ready to and he did such uh, a cracking job. Yeah, they couldn't. It was, he was yeah. totally bulletproof. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was bulletproof. And so, so yeah, I just think that um, it is, it, it, it's, a, it's still a conversation that's going on and it's still a really difficult one and that class is always, always associated with accent you know, like, you know, you know, there's plenty of like very wealthy professional people in Lancashire. You know, you don't just hop over to Ribble Valley. You know, they might not sound Bloody quite low. like me, but but you know, not so far off. No, exactly. There's loads, but more and more now, when I get sent things, 
and I'm thinking, oh, well, where are we? Where's the world? Who's this character? And then I'm trying to find the voice without sounding too wanky. And nine times out of ten, the director goes, your own voice. Just just, just your own voice. Don't... For that, do you know what I mean? Well, exactly. It's like, it's like, and I do, and I go like, well, you know, and in this whole question, you know, again, that I talk about a lot in the chapter about self-identifying as working class when you're an actor, it's like really, really difficult, you know, and you've got to find your peace with that. And I have found my peace with that. You know, there's only one time in a job where I was asked to self-identify, and uh, and we had a big discussion in the rehearsal room about it. And you know, and, and Mike, one of the cast, was like, "Of course, we have to identify as working class. You don't change class." just because you become successful or you become an artist. You know, it's like if, you, if you're born into huge wealth, if you're a member of the aristocracy and you become a window cleaner, you don't become working class. You're always of that class, you know. And, and I mean, we're so class-ridden in this country. It's ridiculous it's such an issue. But, but in terms of, like, representation, I get cast very often because I'm a working class northern actor. You know, I, I'm of that world. And, and so... You know, nobody goes like, oh, we need, you know, we need someone to, we need someone from the aristocracy. Julia Smith, what's her background? You know, it's like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and it's important as an actor to be able to cross all those boundaries, you know, when you're, when you're allowed to, when you're given the opportunity to. But, but yeah, I think it would be mad for me to, to self-identify as anything other than working class because also what, what then gives hope and inspiration to people emerging into industry if they think that everybody is like middle class. It's just, you know, you, you, want, to, you want to see people reflecting your own experience, I think. But having said that, you know, I can't speak for, can I say we? I suppose, okay, yeah, I definitely can. We are in a privileged position of of doing what we do for a living. Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing. It's like, you know, that was the discussion we had. You know, Nora was like, I just don't know how I can call myself working class when we've just spent all morning throwing a ball around a room, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And, you know, and obviously my life, you know, because I've I've done all those years on Corrie and, you know, I have a nice life. I I, I live in huge privilege, you know, in terms of even the, the, the people that I mix with, you know, because that's a class indicator, you know, the wide range of people that you that you move amongst, you know, and you mm. Cultural capital, all those things, but but my background and my sensibility and my heart is working class, you know. And because it's, because that hasn't changed. No, no. Even those situations yeah. that you're that you're put in or you find yourself in have changed. Yeah. All those things from the past haven't. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, that you, you can't change the class. Yeah, well, and, and because you know the 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 journey that I went on to be in the arts was one that was completely reliant on state's help. Mm. You know, I got a grant to go to drama school. I got a maintenance grant that paid my rent. Beyond drama school, I set up a theatre company while I signed on and claimed housing benefit. And I always talk about that as as important as the grant itself. That was left alone by, you know, by the DSS Mm. for two years because I was building a theatre and putting on plays for no money. And I was and I was being helped by the state to do that, you know. And I and I just say to them every week when I went to sign on, well, I'm you know, I'm building a theatre, I'm putting on plays, I'm inviting people. This this is my apprenticeship, and and back then because it was so much less draconian, you know, I was able to do that. And you'll find you get, this gets talked about a lot with musicians, you know all the sort of great pop stars of the 90s, you know, we're, we're dull dosses in the 80s, just messing around with mates, you know, in the living room, smoking too much weed and, you know, and, and signing on. And we've all paid it back a hundredfold in tax now. You know, that's the thing. It's like I'm, I see myself as state privileged and, and, and you know, the, the reason I was able to, to access this world beyond my own background, the limits of my own background, is because because of that. Well, we are. Which is why I'm so passionate about that, you know, continuing and, and it isn't. Yeah, of course. Like, when I mention to uh, younger actors in their early 20s now who are saving up for drama school or they're struggling through drama school, and I mentioned that people like us got grants... And also, they gave us money to live. I mean, it blows the mind. They can't believe it because they're scraping or they're borrowing shitloads of money to to pay those terms fees just so they can gain the knowledge and they can train. It's yeah, 
Yeah. And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And it's like, you know, and, and everything is so weighted against anybody from who doesn't come from an advantaged background, you know. And, 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 I, and I use working class as a catch-all for that. Of course, within that, there's a massive spectrum of different sort of experiences. Um, but I, you know, it's even when you're working, the time that it's assumed you have the time to learn all those lines for a self-tape you know, over a weekend? What if you've got caring responsibilities? What if you're doing, yeah. having to do three other day jobs, you know, in order to just pay your rent? And you've and the, the odds are stacked against you every step of, of the way. You've got to work 10 times harder to mm-hmm. get where you need to be because of that. And, and you know, and that is, um, and that, and so that is why class has to be part of the conversation about access. And it very rarely is because it's so difficult to quantify and people don't like talking about it. People, people who, oh, class is such an old-fashioned concept or it's, it's so kind of, oh, we're so class-ridden in this country. It's, we're obsessed with class. Well, you're obsessed with class because we live in a really, really unequal society where some people have got all the breaks. You know, in cultural industries, you know, still situations where there's like inter- unpaid internships. Well, you can only do that if you've got private support. It's But that's why the book is so interesting because there are so many topics in it that... People are talking about behind closed doors, but now there's you coming out with this. And they're going, oh, I'm so pleased Julie's talking about it because this is what we've been talking about for ages. Oh, well, that's, well, that's amazing to hear. Thank you. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the I mean, I know I'm not the only one, but I think to put it all down, I mean, it's just really, really good for me as well, you know, because you just go like, oh, yeah, these are... It's good sometimes to reflect on, on the stuff that you've learned and the stuff that you're still learning and to go oh. like, oh, actually, yeah, these are the experiences of that, that I've had and these are the changes that I've witnessed and, and the, the good and the bad within that. And to sort of, it, it's been really wonderful to sit with it and really reflect on it and to, and it's not definitive, you know, even between writing it and it being published, which was a really short space of time, there's already things, some things that are out of date. You know, I mean, you yeah. know, that like the, the, the chapter on tax, I mean, you know, if that changed about five times, you know, between <laughs> me doing it and so I'm crikey. And, you know, I've had to say in the introduction, you know, the language that I use in it to talk about different groups of people or whatever, that is constantly evolving and could be out of date within a year. You know, yeah. and having to yeah. say, you know, I, I'm using what I, I think and hope is that is the language of our time at this moment, but with the with the acknowledgement that it's going to change because people hate having the language um, challenged or questioned in any mm. way. But Absolutely. God, that's important to let people identify as they want to be. Julie, we touched on unions before, and why do you think that our union, the Actors' Equity, is weaker than, say, the musicians' union. Because we all know, and I've said this before to to many people, if something uh, goes wrong or something, somebody's not happy or somebody's been turned over in the musicians' union, it's down tools, right? The West End is down and they will stop. And with our union, I feel, and tell me if I'm wrong, if that happens, there'll be another actor behind with the hand up going, oh, they're not doing that, I'll do it, I'll do it. And therefore, everything collapses. The same, I would say, with SAG in America. And we we all witnessed this years and years ago with the writer's strike in America and everything just went down. So what, what, can, what can we do as a union to be, to be stronger or to be as strong? Well, it's a really good question. I mean, I... I think that I think it's very very difficult that it's optional to be in the union. You know, I think that's where where things go wrong, where people are enjoying the the triumphs and the successes of having a union over so many years that have worked so hard to get the the the, the rights that we have, and uh, and even now, you know, in terms of uh, safety in the workplace. And the things that are in place around uh, emotional well-being and mental health, all those things are, are put in place from real campaigning from our union. You know, it's important to talk about the successes, you know, of, of it. And and the things that we have, you know, like insurance because of it, you know, and, and because and the, the amazing pension scheme and the breaks we have and the holiday pay. Everything, you know, it, it is 
There are many, many really amazing things about our union, but it's weakened yeah. by the fact that you don't have to join. And I think that and I'm really, really passionate about this. The more engaged we are in it, the more successful it will be and the more of us there are working together because it is us. It's not something that exists yeah. outside us. Somebody yeah. said the other day that somebody had put on Twitter, like, right, OK, tell me why I should join Equity. Tell me. And people were saying all the benefits of it. And they were just like, uh, well, what can they do for me? And it's like that, and there, therein lies the problem, that it's not about what they can do for me. It's about us working together for positive change. Um, in our industry, it's really difficult because we're a mixed bag of people. And, it's, and, and some people, again, are very entrenched in their ways about what the union should look like and feel like. And some people, I think, would prefer it to be like a nice gentleman's club rather than a workers' oh, union. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we need to be standing side by side with other workers. We need to see ourselves as workers. And I think that's where, where the problem lies, is that culturally we think of ourselves as outside of all that. Oh, we mustn't be political. We need to be, like, neutral. We need to be, you know, this is, you know, we, we have to just, like, step back from all that messy stuff of, of, like, workers' rights and everything. But we're workers. We're workers who, who, who are paid and who need to be paid to do the job that we do and have all the rights that other workers enjoy. And when other workers go on strike, we need to stand in solidarity with them. I mean, you know, I mean, I have absolutely no qualms about that. So I think that that, that is part of the problem, that we... It's a, it's a, um, it's a problem of individuality, you know, and individualism yeah. and self, you know, and... and Everybody out for themselves. You know, it's kind of like, I, I, I need to work, I need to, you know, access stuff, I need to fulfil my dreams, instead of, like, going, like, we all need to work together so that everybody has, has the equal rights in this. And, you know, and I think that people just... I don't. I wonder whether there's a little bit of a problem with, with PR, with equity sometimes, that you do, people just don't know that there's this incredible pension scheme that if you put £5 in, they put £10 in, you know? I mean, it's incredible. I, I found out about that years ago and I was straight on it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's one free of the money. greatest things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We'll if go, you have we'll, an accident, we'll... the, 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 they pay. If something terrible happens, they, you know, there's a tribunal for it. There's helplines for every single area, sexual harassment, bullying. You know, they are amazing and they are really trying to be more proactive in lots and lots of ways but of course you know there's always change is painful change is painful but I think that we go I think I feel like we're moving in the right direction you know people will disagree with me but but I think it's that I think we all need to be I, I, I think the optional like because you know people are skint and so it's like oh where am I going to find that money but it's like spotlight it's not an optional extra you, you've got You've got to be in it. You know, if you're not on Spotlight, you, you're not going to get jobs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's part of the job. It's an expense that you have to, like, find. Like your I, think you hit, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's, you know, that person saying, well, 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 actually, what can they do for me? And it's like, right, don't be the individual. Let's stand side by side and then this wall is strength. So it's about side by side and being stronger. Yeah, yeah I yeah, totally yeah. agree with you, yeah. Julie. We, what can we do for each other? What can we do to make our industry safer, more diverse, more representative? What can we do to make sure that people aren't starving? What can we do to make sure that people are in safe digs when they're on tour? You know, what, what can we do right across the board? You know, how can we make sure that people get paid properly and fairly? These are the things that it's for, you know, and 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 you know, also in some in what is sometimes a very isolating profession when you're not working, the union is something that gives you instant community. You know, our, our Greater Manchester branch is really vibrant and wonderful, and I know there's like a, a lot of real support for each other. You know, recently Oldham Coliseum lost their um, their MPO mm. status, and you know, yeah. absolutely heartbreaking for for Greater Manchester. And the sort of the the uprising about that, we had a really great demonstration in town. People turned out. It's like we can't let that happen. Not because of what, not just because of what it means to Oldham, you know, which is absolutely devastating, but 
Oldham is an employer of so many northern actors and creatives and stage managers and front of house. People's jobs, you know, people think of the creative industries as this like fancy pants thing, but we're workers. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, it sounds like you had an amazing time writing this book. And you've already said that between popping it off to the editors and it coming to press, things have changed. So... Are you planning more? Are you planning another sort of diary, any sort of manifesto work, going to go back, change the alphabet in any way? Is there a future plan? Or are you just going to sit with it for now? Well, I'm going to sit with it for now because it's been bonkers, you know, and I've been doing all this press around it and it's been quite overwhelming, actually. And and I'm going to do a launch in London at the Royal Court, I think, sometime in the new year, which is exciting. I've done one up here at Consight, which was great. And... um, and I think that after that, I'll just sit with it for a little while. It probably will need a, another edition at some point if it's if it's required. Um, the only thing that I think is that there was one chapter on, it was care for kids and other caring responsibilities. And I, I had my kids while I was in Corrie and my husband's a writer and was at home. And I also live in a little street with lots of friends and neighbours and we had family. So... The, I am sleeping privileged when it comes to my my experience of parenting. Um, I had enough money, you know. It was, I mean, it, I, I I couldn't write about that experience as in a helpful way because you know it was a very unusual experience, and I'm so lucky and grateful. So I put something out on Facebook just saying, "Oh, can people tell me their experiences of parenting in this job?" And also, you know, how how you've been helped if there are organisations that help. And I've never known such a response. People were absolutely desperate to talk about it, offering themselves up for interviews. You know, people telling me that they'd had to leave. People telling me that you know they find it impossible to re-enter. You know, people wanting to talk about the caring responsibilities beyond parenting. You know, if they've got an elderly parent that they're having to look after. You know, some theatres are putting things in place that are very child-friendly, so you start the day later. But if you have got to get back to an elderly parent to, to look after him in the evening, that pushes that back, you know. And, and there was so much, there was so much. And I was like, oh, this chapter is not going to be enough. And so I have the germ of an idea. And I think it might be good for me to write it as someone completely outside of that experience, to to write something about people's experiences of that and to try and put something together with maybe um, a PIPA, which is the parents in in the performing arts group that kept coming up over and over again and is pregnant then screwed as well. Really great organisations who are fighting for change in this area because, you know, Craig, I mean, especially in theatre, it's... It's impossible. To impossible. Be. Impossible. And so, so I think maybe if I was to write something else, it would be a more concentrated book around that. You know, I think people would find that, I hope, very helpful, and and to to find networks to support each other, maybe. And even to have a big open live discussion about that and bringing all those people together and seeing if change can come from it, because as you yeah. say, it is is impossible. And you know, I'm speaking from a very privileged position as a man who's never going to you know bear children and, and be in that find myself in that in that unfortunate position and it's really difficult because people need support and they need help with it because they've got yeah. to get back out there and they've you know we've said it before many times we are workers yeah Julie. yeah yeah and, and you know like one agent one friend got dropped by her agent when she got pregnant and i'm just Disgusting. like absolutely i mean i mean i'm just like well that's surely that's that's illegal <laughs> it's like that's like there is like, well, you'll never do any theatre work. You won't be able to work in theatre. And you're just like, well, look at all these people who do, you know, and it nearly kills them because it's like not the hours aren't friendly, you know. And, and I know that Bertie Carvel did a big campaign, didn't he, for the mm. West End around Sunday hours and all that. And it was really, yeah. really hard. But, um, you know, so I, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who walk away from the industry when they have kids and go, like, I can't do both. And But I've also got loads of respect for people who keep at it and... And go, you know, my child will grow up with surrounded by interesting people and creativity, and you know, and, and like, you know, kids are resilient, you know, and, and you've just got to. There's something positive about watching your parent walk out the door with a spring in the step because they love the job. That's also a gift yeah. to give to your child. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was saying to you before we started recording. You know, my son's just started secondary school now, and. You know, his mum's an actor, I'm an actor. I remember 
when I, the last play I did was in London. I remember taking him backstage and onto the stage for the first time and he was looking out at the auditorium. He, he couldn't believe it. His eyes were just so wide and you, you can't really, you can't buy that. I can't no. give, I mean, I, I'm in a, a fortunate position that I can give him that. Yeah. You know, he's not going to experience that at all. And it has fed into him. Yeah. It has fed into his creativity. Uh, making his Halloween costumes, being creative with his writing and his stories and his imagination. And, you know, I think it helps. It really does help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the cultural capital that you can give him, even with the, you know, the the, the lack of routine, maybe. You know, it's like it's it's like our job, you know, it's it's up and down rather than just steady and, 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 and whichever you choose is fine. But we have exactly. to try and support each other. That's another thing, just just to say, you know, that I didn't realise, that I learnt right in the book about equity, is that they can help you financially to retrain and leave the profession as well. You know, I mean, that's something that people don't know. A friend of mine did that. You know, it got too much. It was just too much. Wow. And and it was battering her mental and physical health when she had a child. And um, and she's retrained. And I equity helps that. her. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things they provide, you know, and, and you don't have to dig very deep to find out, but, you know. <laughs> Cultural capital, which you talk about in section C of an actor's alphabet and A to Z of some stuff I've learned and some stuff I'm still learning. Julie, it's always a pleasure. And um, I think this is essential reading and everybody's going to go out and get it and read it and love it. It's brilliant. Congratulations, mate. Thank you so much, Craig, and thanks for having me on, because I know you have such a reach, and, and, you know, you write something like this, and you just hope that... You really do. You offer you, you imagine people reading it and you think, oh, I really hope that somebody can get something out of this. So thank you. Thanks for helping me to put it out there. I'm going to message you when I've finished. I'm halfway through and I'm, I'm genuinely thoroughly enjoyed it. You know I don't bullshit on here and I never sort of promote things, but I think this is something that, that needs a push and because it's you, it's super important. All right. Thank you. Thanks so Loads much, Loads of love. Craig. And you too. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Love Bye, love. Bye. And another episode is done. I mean, it's always a pleasure to have her on. She's so vibrant and so real and so honest. Um, I adore Julie. Um, she's, do you know what? I'm going to say it and you'll agree with me. She's a national treasure. She really is. I can't thank her enough. An actor's alphabet and A to Z of some stuff I've learned. Some stuff I'm still learning is out now on Nick Hearn Books. Go out and buy it, and then drop Julie a message after you've read it. I'm going to... Anyway, I'm going off to finish it now, and uh, we'll see you at some point next week. All right. Until then, take care. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. We're getting back there, slowly but surely. Take care. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson. Recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers.